Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 22 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined by Samuel Moni in Philadelphia, back in Philly. Say hi, Sam. Hey, Chris, how are you, sir? How's your week been? How's your life going so far this sunny, sunny beginning of the week? Oh, yeah, good, good. Definitely not sunny this side of the Atlantic, I can tell you that much. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's been great. It's been good. Lots going on, lots of different work um, and uh, lots of uh, stuff to talk about today. I mean, yeah, it was really interesting, Sam. La- last episode, we, we talked about stories and... Mm-hmm. And what I found was that actually there were fans of the same stories, uh, mm. you know, just getting some feedback from from a session. And and one that did come up was that that quote that you said about um, Mayor Angelo. Yeah, and, yeah. and and that I was talking to someone else who was saying that was a great quote. They'd heard mm-hmm. it before. It made me want to dig a bit deeper into it. And and I was also sort of reminded that that's almost how stories work as well you you start off and then you delve and then you take it on your own tangent and it reminded me of some of my go-to stories that i tell mm-hmm. like spending a week with mike tyson in vegas whilst mm-hmm. making a boxing game that, that's, that's uh, a good one uh, yeah it was it was like an a uh a version of a hangover, I can tell you, but that, that's that's for another time. Um, mm-hmm. Meeting Radiohead at one of their earliest gigs and paying one pound ninety for the ticket, and wow, and that that Did was they a have long electricity old time. in those days. Say again, sorry. Did they have electricity in those days? <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, now those closest to me may roll their eyes and go, "God, not that story again." Mm-hmm. I heard that many times. But you know, I, I still seem to find new audiences that want to listen, or, or at least pretend to, anyway. And and I don't get tired of it. And I think that's an interesting point about storytelling, isn't it? But yeah. There's always a larger community to get to. Yeah, and, and it's the power of story. It's the power of finding an angle and something that is memorable and people actually want to respond to. So we, we're kind of hardwired for stories, not for facts, Chris. So, yes, yeah. your, your Radiohead story and the, the £1.90 is, is ringing, ringing in my mind and probably stay for a while. Oh, well, there we go. And that's, that's the thing. It got me thinking about super fans and the power of community and how valuable they can be. Uh, I, I did a uh, conference in Boston last year. We talked about it, and that was about super fans and how valuable they can be to the subscription businesses. And, and I talked about how actually if you're being brought into a community, it can be absolutely huge and amazing what that community can do to you. And and it can truly change something. Or it might from a business perspective, it can transform your product or a service from a startup to a full-on worldwide success. There was a guy there, I think you've heard of him, David Meerman Scott, and he was yeah. talking about fandom mm-hmm. and turning fans into customers and customers into fans. And and it was great because I was in a much, much smaller session. He was doing the, the keynote, but I thought mm. that really resonates with a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about or thinking about recently and I'm presenting on. So I felt that connection. We had a good chat about it. 
in turn, that made me want to buy his book. It made me want to talk about it. And right. the, book, the book's great, by the way. Okay. And, and I think, again, you're looking for those connections. You're finding like-minded people, and you start to form a community. So, yeah, powerful stuff. And I thought we should focus today's session on that, Sam. Yeah, so definitely a shout-out to David's book, and I'm sure we'll put, put a link out there to that. And I, I absolutely agree that communities and using that power of fans do build brands and platforms that can go to the masses. I think you mentioned Radiohead. Musicians definitely find their way to the market in this way really, really well. You mentioned Radiohead, and there's a great case study from them, from their, the time that they released their In Rainbows album under a music at your own price strategy. And while they'd been with the record company for a while, they pivoted and they basically said, hey, fans, you can name your price. So whether you wanted to pay a few pennies or a lot of pounds, they actually experimented with the opportunity to to connect with their audience and get them to decide how much value would be paid for it. And there's a, a lady called Anita L. Burst. She's a Harvard professor, and I so envy her. She spends her time capturing stories and examples from the world of entertainment and sports and sports management and turns them into Harvard case studies that get taught to the next generation of business leaders. So this idea of community of fans, of leadership from those from those channels is, is, is truly, truly valuable. One of my favorite artists, Prince, he found that giving away copies of his album with a newspaper led to 3 million copies of the Mail on Sunday being sold sold a few years ago versus the usual 200,000, and it was a resounding hit. Uh, he had all sorts of online streaming and exclusive memberships that was ahead of the time. He was a pioneer, even though he said the internet was dead. He actually experimented, <laughs> experimented with memberships and streaming and clubs and all sorts of things because he knew he could tap into his fans. So, yeah, I think he was one of the original that turned the tables and realized they could make the money out of the events rather than actually out of the music as well, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. So you surround people with sort of multiple touch points. But the idea of appealing to individuals, but a large number of them acting together, led to the community, I think, that you're talking about. Yeah, good, good. So so that whole concept about how do you create communities and what are the, what are the lessons that can be learned from people that have done that, I think is, is what we're carrying on exploring today. Media is a mm. classic one. You, you look at yep. how many people are reported to us in Game of Thrones, HBO's right. most popular series. But it didn't start out that way. It was watched by about 2.5 million. It was relatively mm. cold in, in the time and you know questions of whether it was going to survive. Now, it grew to almost like 10 10 times that became the most pirated series in the worldwide. Um, but interestingly, a group of core friends, a fans spread that word. But it's mm-hmm. not it's not all that they do. It's not just about spreading the, the word. They became creators in their own right. Um, there were spin-off shows. Um, they became advocates. And finally, if you think about the final mm-hmm. series, they become judge and jury as well. So, right. so following that life cycle of how a community can take take the role from being passive to actually being pretty vocal to a, to a point where they're asking you to recreate the series is interesting. Mm-hmm. And you know, my love of Star Wars um, genre started when I was about seven or eight. Um, I wasn't like a Star Wars geek. It's not like I'm attending expos dressed up in costumes or anything, but... All my friends were into it, so was I. That peer pressure, an important point there. If I look at how much I spent on the Star Wars franchise, my lifetime value is probably ranges close to a thousand pounds. And I think wow. an important point is that 
that emotion and connection starts when that relationship is is young. Um, we, we agreed not to talk about soccer, Sam, which I think is is rightly <laughs> so. We, we, we almost managed to avoid it when we were face to face, which was good. But 1979, watching Arsenal with my dad in the garden on a gloriously hot summer's day, watching Arsenal win the FA Cup, I was hooked. Now, as a little kid, I thought, brilliant. It's hot, it's sunny, Arsenal win every single year. Now, 30-odd <laughs> years later, after spending oh, no. literally thousands of pounds on season tickets over the years, replica shirts and food and drink mm-hmm. at the venue, I realised they clearly don't win every week. Um, <laughs> and it's clearly not a pleasant sat on the terraces on a wet February afternoon. But I'm still a fan. You know, that loyalty mm. carries on. And that's about the emotional connection. And it's also the bond I've built up with other fans that make me feel guilty, quite frankly, when I'm not supporting my team through thick and thin or when right. it's minus four degrees and, and hailing down out there. So so that emotional bond and that peer pressure and that, that um, how that community can affect you, I think, is, is important. Um, but that, that's the obvious ones, though. And, and interestingly here, if you think of all the different aspects of both the Game of Thrones franchise, if you can call it that, um, and the same as Star Wars, it has a base of incredibly loyal fans that communicate that message to another group mm-hmm. of loyal fans. And it carries on from generation to generation. And I, I think that's an important part when we look at cultural change, transformation, how you look to scale your operation is plotting a path for future generations to follow. You've got to think big. We've talked about that, that vision, that goal, and and what better goal to think, how can my brand exist for future generations? Uh, so uh, big stuff there. Final point from me on that, Sam. When I was reading David's book, he said, rites of passage we experience as young people profoundly influence the fanocracies we participate in as adults. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's a good point that a lot of brands that we relate to are the ones mm-hmm. where we've had that affinity. And again, we, we touched on that last week as well, didn't we? Yeah. And as you talk about that rites of passage, it makes me think of uh, a, a woman called Issa Rae, who's a black female writer and actress who's created a hit HBO series over the past few years called Insecure. And it's it's got an audience beyond just the, the African-American and black audience. It's, it's a really successful hit show. But it, the backstory starts with a popular web series, Awkward Black Girl, which premiered in, on YouTube in 2011 and ran through t- 2013. And what got that some attention was she was telling a perspective, sharing a story, sharing a rite of passage that wasn't mainstream. It wasn't commonly portrayed, but a lot of people could relate to it. And what she did in marketing terms, if we bring it back to the core of of marketing transformation of this show, is she used great marketing techniques to engage her audience and to help get the funding to actually make the shows. So early viewers of Awkward Black Girl from the early days will remember the Kickstarter notices that started occurring specifically really close to launch or episode season dates with a call to action. She'd put out a date, say, you know, August the 11th or something, which and say, if we don't hit our target goal by August 11th, this will be the last episode of the season. Oh, brilliant. Now, that was a risky situation because she'd quit her job and all sorts. But imagine that call to action, which set sense of urgency that, that um, you know, that, that aspect of, you know, this might be the last one, but it got people in, got people engaged and on, on board. And that call to action clearly, clearly worked. And 
What also helped was it was the R&D. It was her testing ground to building a groundswell of passionate fans for her work and for her character. So if you think of it in terms of R&D, then that's a less risky bet for HBO a few years later to then invest in the full production and full um, full efforts of bringing a show to the market. Because think of that early days, that testing, those platforms as, as the R&D efforts. And, and I think that's a huge mindset shift from from how people might think about what they what that was all about. That's great. Definitely a trailblazer there, without a doubt, I would say. You know, it's a it's a brave move. I and mean, there's something about putting yourself completely out there, isn't it? That authentic self saying, look, you know, this is it. If you, if you don't help me out, this is the end. So help me out. Uh, you know, that's a very courageous approach that. Uh, yeah. Interestingly, that also you think about uh, a lot of uh, R and um, R and D in terms of like music now, where mm-hmm. they will look for uh, people that have a fan base before they will even consider whether they will then right. take them on as an artist. Yeah, and the, the cost of producing a TV show for a, a major studio, a major network, is, is huge. So actually, this thinking of it in R and D, and we've talked about bringing shows to tv but of course the stakes are higher when it comes to actually bringing it to if i'm going to be in america saying the movies bringing films to the big screen bringing talent from the internet to a broader tv viewing public but how about bringing talent to the the cinema world let's take the increasingly dominant marvel franchise and i call i call on them because the comics actually serve as their r&d and it costs a few thousand dollars to test out characters and, and plot ideas through the through the comics you only need to publish a short run and it's a relatively cheap way to understand what works what doesn't work and who could translate to other platforms? Then you can monetize on the movies, the merchandise, and the toys, which are a huge cultural phenomenon. And you're actually bringing in a new generation of consumers. So there are new entrants into the marketplace through the toys. Perhaps they're not buying comics, but they certainly can buy the toys. And then you've got licensing across product categories and age ranges. So you'll see Marvel across all sorts of categories, stickers, books, and and you know TVs, and all sorts of things, backpacks. You, you name it, you can get it with Marvel. And then think about the theme parks, now under the bigger Disney brand, where you're creating experiences and bringing people together. So that's where being fans and building that community actually scales to a much larger larger level. Then, of course, there's a whole... There's a whole industry that building on that and, and this whole sector of, in the Comic-Con style conventions and the, and the cosplay space, which for me is true fandom when you're getting adults and kids to dress up as these characters. But listen, I think the main thing to recognize here, not, let's not just think about it as geeks in the sci-fi or space or Star Trek or Star Wars gear, which a lot of people actually jump to. Think of it as everyday pe- people, and there are millions of them. So whether you're wearing the sports team shirt for your basketball or soccer team or American football team, or last week I've got three or four different rugby shirts and I, I support England, I still wear them. Yes, I know I'm not playing, but I will invest in that because I want to be part of supporting that team. Or whether you're dressed as Harry Potter, it's all the same. It's definitely a female thing too. Millions of people dressed up as the characters from Sex and the City to attend those films. So a lot of people think, oh, it's all guys and geeks, but actually it's truly a mass behavior. It's a mass audience. And that explains the phenomenon of all these comic cons and all these these um, these characters and these platforms which succeed because people can truly relate to them. And adults, whether you're young or old, also will dress up as their favorite character. 
Yeah, let alone the impact it has on fashion as well. I'm not, I'm not entirely Absolutely. sure that Star Trek had an impact on fashion, but but certainly Sex and the City did. Absolutely, um, Absolutely. Yeah, renowned cases there. So, so what what's that mean for our day to day job though? I think let's try and bring it back. We always try and bring it back to if you're a sort of a marketing exec or a CMO, what does it mean? And and does every business have a community element? And and maybe not. You know, maybe there are examples where it's your struggle to find the community. But I think this quote is important. Our, uh, our older um, colleague that we sort of quoted before, Simon Sinek and Wisey said, customers will never love a company until its employees love it first. And, and I think that's so true because when you're going to create a community of fans, make sure that those fans start off as your own employees. Uh, I, think, I think if you if you don't do that, then you've almost lost the battle already. Would you agree with that, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and we can all take lessons from why communities form and the power of creating communities as well. I'll run through a couple that I think are are strong. And and the key lessons are communities are stronger together. Uh, It's the power of the people, uh, definitely. Super fans are within them, and you want to try and find those super fans. And it's more easily to more easy to notice communities than it is individuals. Um, and the message spreads more easily once you have a community hub as well. And you must make a community feel like they belong. They're community members. So, so a couple of examples which I think just sort of bring this to life, Sam. Uh, crowdfunding. Great, great one. Kickstarter dot uh, com. Uh, it's not obviously not the only crowd uh, funding site, but there's this, there's this game called Exploding Kittens, Sam. It's a mm. it's a card game. Have you heard of it? I haven't till now. So you better explain it, Chris, because it sounds a bit dangerous. Yeah, well, it, it does. I mean, it, it's basically it's it's a card game. It's a bit like the classes of Russian roulette in aspects. It's a bit like Uno as well. In a way, that bit, yeah, Google it, find it yourself if you don't know. But but they were originally looking for ten thousand um, dollars, and they've mm-hmm. actually raised eight point seven eight million dollars from two hundred nineteen thousand backers. Um, which is, is just incredible when you think about it in mm, terms of what absolutely. they've managed to achieve. Yeah, off the back of that, they've got 10,000 reviews, very mm-hmm. highly rated um, on Kickstarter. They've got now a whole spin-off in industry that they're looking at. They've, I noticed that they've got their own expo that they're starting in Portland called Burning wow. Cat, a convention from the creators mm-hmm. of Exploding Kittens and the Oatmeal. They're asking their community for, have you got an idea for a game? Get in touch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, get me the juicy insider info. All the classic marketing techniques. But but think about it. It starts off with $10,000 that they're asking for, and it starts to create a a um, mind of its own and start delivering right through to $8.78 million. I mean, if you, if you were in charge of setting that overall objective, you'd be quite happy with what you achieved there, wouldn't you? Right. Absolutely. You talk about the numbers there. Huge. 
Yeah. And and interestingly, roughly one in five Americans, so that's about 22%, report that they've contributed to an online fundraising project on mm. a website like a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter. And and the ones that are successful, because yeah, clearly there's, there's hundreds of probably thousands right. of potential right. pitches out there, the ones that seem to make a success uh, are the ones where there's a great idea, clearly, but the campaign owner updates mm-hmm. the backers every right. five days or less. So right. again, classic marketing techniques, right. make them feel part of something, mm-hmm. make them feel belong uh, as if they belong. And, right. and interesting, those that do update backers every five days or less raise about three times more than those mm. that don't. I mean, it begs the question why everyone doesn't do that because, you know, uh, you can Google that in a minute. But but that that's the fact of it because people want to feel like they belong. They want to feel that they're engaged. And campaigns that gain 30% of a goal within the first week are more likely to see succeed. Again, build momentum, build excitement, get a bit of zeitgeist behind it to start off with, mm-hmm. and you're more likely to be successful in the long run as well. So, so a couple of examples there, I think, which uh, show that classic marketing techniques that we've been talking about re- apply to that community marketing as well. Yeah, and uh, what I like about what you're sharing is that there are some key principles, some key facts, and some some numbers there which give us make us students of this to actually apply and practice practice it on our brand. And some examples that I can think of, as you talked about, those that I've personally involved in, is a launch of a new product called Farm and Oven. Um, you can go to farmandoven.com. If, um, a gratuitous shout out to a, a former um, wonderful manager of mine who who's co- co-founded this company, which is a, essentially a, a product which is baking extra veggies into old-fashioned bakery treats. So there are these wonderful flavors such as zucchini and chocolate, beet and dark chocolates, carrot and cinnamon. Essentially, you can get your, your veggie um, servings, plus also get um, other wonderful nutrients in these wonderful um, nutritious um, food bars. Brilliant, like five a day. Get your five a day whilst eating your chocolate food bar. Yeah, yeah. chocolate and beetroot. And so just imagine combining the things you don't normally consider. And it, that gave, gave it some intrigue. And, it, and it's a few years old and they're, they're getting some good momentum there. But it's the idea of, of launching as a, as a Kickstarter. They got me to subscribe, sign up early, get the first shipment. And I was excited to be part of the story of, of bringing it to market. But we can think about this uh, at another level, there is a strategic um, innovation and experience design company called Idea Couture, and they stand for uh, looking forward, strategic foresight, look, which is about looking into the, the future, innovation, ideation. They work with brands and thinking about the organization for the future. They're doing all this great stuff, but rather than just coming up with another presentation or a PowerPoint or a video or publish a book, they brought it, all of their thinking to life in a really engaging way by creating a game called Impact, a foresight game. And you could actually, rather than presenting about it, you could actually bring it to a, a, a meeting, bring it to a forum and get people to actually play and engage with the idea of, of foresight and innovation versus actually talking about it. So I just thought I invested, I think two, it was it cost me 270 Canadian do- dollars. I bought five of them, but I actually gave a few of them away to to colleagues um, who are who are like-minded and, and as a gift. And they were so, so, you know, so impressed and so excited to, to have this as, as a gift. So think about different ways you can create fans for your product, for your services, for your ideas you can get the excitement and the intrigue of the development as and as also you know finding out about the challenges and the setbacks as 
as you uh, anticipate the final product arriving. So we've shared a lot of good news here that, that, there, Chris, and I don't want to be the, the naysayer, but also there, there are watch outs here. It's not necessarily guaranteed to succeed. And we've talked a lot about music. And unfortunately, there's a story of, of Pledge Music that was a community-driven music platform that you could fund and invest in new music from artists that you love. And the founder was really about this idea that he wanted to char- change the, 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 the level of engagement by offering offering hardcore fans a virtual ticket ex- to experience an album's creation. So you weren't just a, a purchaser of the final product. You were actually yeah, nice. part of bringing that to the marketplace. And it had some momentum, it had some success. There's actually an album by a band called Elder Island, um, which is a, a, a UK sort of dance pop band. And it was going beyond the package and, and, and focus group and being part of bringing the idea to life. But they've had a few financial issues. And unfortunately, they went under and they left a, a bunch of people hanging. And, and they actually left over sort of $10 million worth of, of funds that they actually didn't and pay back to these cash-strapped artists. And so some of these artists ended up having to fulfill the demand themselves and they were ended up being out of pocket because they didn't want them to let their fans down. So that's a kind of a sad example, but it also shows that ultimately when you've got fans there, you've really got to uh, meet their needs and delight. And there's nothing worse than actually not shipping or not, not delivering the product. And we've heard a few horror stories in that space. Yeah, no, uh, I'd like to look into that a bit more. But but just just before we wrap up, it makes me think about petitions as well. Another mm. classic way of, of of making change happen. Now, quite frankly, there's loads of examples where petitions don't do the job that is intended, and a lot of that relates to to government or policy or politics. But when it comes to business, it can be more successful as well. There was a a, a campaign in the state, Sam which was about no fees for having a debit card. But the Bank of America pulled back on policies about debit cards in 2011 after a petition from a 22-year-old. And Mm. they were, I think, planning on proposing a $5 monthly charge for having a debit card. And it scrapped that policy after... The petition started because, and there was only 300,000 people ended up signing that petition. And I I was thinking about that, thinking in the grand scheme of things in America, that's not a large volume, but it provided a base. It provided that touch paper um, and the sort of a spark for the media to get involved. And the Bank of America pulled the plug Mm -hmm. on the idea. So it's interesting that. Actually, again, communities can have a much more far-reaching effect if they if they uh, amalgamate into into a sort of a, a larger group. Um, and and I do wonder also, in terms of coming back to your pledge example, it'd be interesting to explore that whether the commercial business model was just not sound in the first place, and actually the number of hardcore fans were just not enough to sustain the proposition or whether it was mismanaged. Could we come back to that point that within a community, Mm -hmm. you would imagine that only 1% of the community would be creators, 9% would be uh, the people that would interact, and then the the 90% are more passive. Um, and 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 it's a lot of studies have been done. Sometimes it varies, but but broadly speaking, that tends to be it. So you should never underestimate that the super fan segment of your audience is pretty small. Right. Um, so so look, there's there's a lot going on there. I think the interesting thing, and we should come back to this, Sam. I think next time is is there's a bit of a paradox here. We spend a lot of our time focused on community marketing, 
Yeah, actually, a lot of the marketing techniques at the moment, especially with digital, is about how do you target the individual? How right. do you get down to that segment of one? And, and I think it'd be good to explore that next time to see, does that live comfortably alongside it or do you need to follow one school of thought or the other? Yeah, But Sam, don't respond now. Respond next week. Why okay. don't you, I'll, I'll at hold the moment, back then, Chris. I'll hold back, Chris. <laughs> why don't you just sum up for this episode what you think the three key takeouts are? Okay, Chris, I'll get to the point with the three takeaways. Firstly, the principles of marketing apply. Think of call to action, engagement, and lifetime value. They're all relevant here. Secondly, think beyond the cliche or stereotype of what you think fans are. It's not just Star Wars and sci-fi geeks. Think of Sex and the City and Fleabag, where women are actually taking part in this space more and more. And thirdly, think of the principles that specifically relate to this area. If you get in touch with your community and your backers every five days, you're going to get a 3x performance improvement. And if you can get to 30% of your goal in the first week, you're probably going to get success. No, that's great, Sam. I like that a lot. So it's a nice it's a nice warm-up for next week's show, I think, as well. Uh, we're going to explore that concept of B2I, not B2C. So business to individual, not business to consumer. And focus on the fact that so much of marketing at the moment is around targeting that individual segment of one and how do you become more personal relevant? And does that sit comfortably behind, beside some of the the concepts and principles that we've talked about today. Uh, I think I think it's going to be really interesting. Nice to carry on the conversation, Sam. Absolutely, Chris. So we better get to work on prepping that show. So until next time, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type marketing transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformshow at gmail.com.